Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. You know, we always kind of assume that the disciples are sort of in a steady state, but did you know that in Mark 6, Jesus changes the status of the disciples. He gives them a different job and it changes what they do and who they become. Man, we've been studying the book of Mark since Easter time, and somebody asked me just the other day, they said, hey, are you planning to close out Mark by the end of the year? Uh, Mark has 16 chapters, and we're in chapter 6, so I don't know that we're going to make it by the end of the year. In fact, here's what my plan is. My plan is... (laughs) close it out by the end of the year. Uh, My plan is uh, that we will um, close out chapter 7 by the end of November and then take a little bit of a break for Christmas. Merry Christmas. And then can you believe we're closing in on the end of the year? So it's October, November, chapter 7, and then uh, December, take a little time off, and then we'll get to chapter 8. The big apex of the book of Mark after the beginning of the year will hit that big apex February, March, and then progress on from there. We are not skipping any of the book of Mark. We are going through every verse, mining it all for truth, because we believe every word of it is the word of God. And so we are in it. Are we good? Good, good with that, good. So I hope you're with me. We're gonna be in Mark chapter six again today. And this is an interesting week. This week and next week are both interesting. Hey, Becca, he's right here, he's right here. Come on, just come on right here. Got a seat safe for you right here at the front. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> he was hiding back there, but he said, no, I wanna be near my beautiful wife. And then he didn't tell you. <laughs> glad you're both here. Uh, so anyway, um, I think this week and next week are both kind of odd little passages. I mean, if I was tempted to skip some, it might be these two. Uh, you know, this week we're gonna look at kind of a mix of stuff that happens in one little literary unit. And then next week, you know, Mark realizes he forgot to tell us that John the Baptist got killed. So he kind of goes back, oh, wait, wait, wait. And he goes back and he kind of tells us about that. So it's kind of two odd passages in a row, but I hope you're following along because I think even in the weird ones, we got a lot to learn, don't we? I know I do. So we're going to be in Mark chapter six again. And today the disciples get a job status change. You ever had that in your job? you You get hired to do one job, but then before you realize it, you find out you're really doing another job. You know, they give you other assignments, other responsibilities. Maybe you get a promotion, right? Am I the only one that's had that happen? Yeah, so they get sort of a job change in this passage in Mark chapter 6. It's really interesting. They've been doing one set of things, and they switch to doing another set of things. It's sort of a... It's sort of a strategy change by Jesus right here in Mark chapter 6. And let's just look at it in Mark 6 verse 7. He called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. This part right here looks like Noah's Ark story to me, right? Two by two. He brings them in two by two. But that has no relationship to that. He He calls the 12 and he began to send them out two by two. Right here, you see the job status change. 
In fact, there's a Greek word that doesn't really show up well in our English translations. It's a word for sending them out. The word is literally apostle. He called the 12 disciples and he began to apostle them. It's a verb. He began to apostle them. So he took, he called the disciples and he began to apostle them. They got a change in their status. Maybe you're going, okay, wait a minute. I thought a disciple was an apostle. Well, you're right. But the responsibilities are different. So I just want to be clear. Uh, Let's get our terms right. The first blank on your page is this. A disciple is a student a learner. It's someone who's been poured into, who's been being mentored. A disciple is a student, but an apostle is someone who is sent. An apostle is sent. So a disciple is receiving, and an apostle is giving. A disciple is learning, an apostle is teaching, proclaiming, preaching. Does that make sense? All right, so they've all of a sudden had a status change. And my question, so before I ask the question, we believe that this moment when they receive this job change is about a year, almost a year and a half into Jesus' ministry. We know that Mark 8, when he and his disciples arrive in Caesarea Philippi, happens at the midpoint of his ministry, about a year and a half into his ministry. And this happens a little before that, not long, a little before that, maybe weeks, maybe months before that. And so it's between a year and a year and a half, they go from just being poured into to now pouring out. And here's my question for you. How long do you need to remain just a disciple before you become an apostle? I mean, some of us have been disciples for years, decades, And we've been mentored by Jesus, we've received from Jesus, but still some of us have never bothered to tell anybody else about Jesus. We want want all the blessings, we want them to speak into us, but we aren't stepping into this role of becoming apostles. And you're like, well now wait a minute, I thought only those 12 were apostles. And I would say, no, no, I believe in apostles today. I believe that every disciple is called to be an apostle. But there's a difference between capital A apostle and lowercase a apostle. I would say that these 12 guys are capital A apostles, the apostles of Jesus Christ. But you and I, we're lowercase a apostles. All of us are called to be an apostle. We love this verse in Romans 10, right? It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We love that verse, but Paul goes on here in the very next sentence, he says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? They hear about him unless someone tells them. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? What he's saying here is that the message of Jesus is proclaimed by apostles. This is God's plan A, God's marketing plan. He doesn't rent billboards on the side of Highway 515. 
He doesn't buy commercial time on YouTube or on your favorite TV channel. That's just not what he does. You are God's marketing plan. You are his way of communicating the gospel to people around us. Jesus talks about this when he's talking to his father. He's praying his high priestly prayer And he says this, he says to God, just as you've sent me into this world, I am sending them into this world. Just as you sent me to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, just like that, now I'm sending them. That's you and me. I'm sending my disciples, my apostles into the world. And he promised to empower us for this task. In Acts 1.8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He's saying that when the Spirit comes, has the Spirit come? Do you have the Holy Spirit living and working in your life? Yes, if you're a believer, a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, and His purpose is to empower you to be His witness. In other words, the next blank on your page, we come to go. We come to Christ so that we can be sent. We come to Him so that we go. There is no come to me without go and tell. That's the way this works. In fact, Jesus' whole call to his disciples was follow me, come to me, follow me, and I will make you what? Oh, we know the answer to this. His purpose is to transform us into fishers of men, to being like him, to catch people for the kingdom. So there is no come without go. That's what this deal is. So if he has called you to himself and you've surrendered your life to him, his purpose in you is to turn you into a witnesser, a a catcher of men. That's what he's doing in you and in me. And this is powerful. This is a powerful go that he gives us. Look at verse 7 of Mark 6. He called the 12, as we're looking at it again, called the 12 and began to send them out to apostle them two by two. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He gave them authority. Now, I just want to make sure we take a second before we talk about the authority and we look at how he actually delegates that authority and what he tells them to do. Mark tells us that he called them and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. But Matthew gives us a little bit more detail about what Jesus actually called them to do. Here's what Jesus says to them in Matthew 10. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. The sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, give as freely as you have received. Give as freely as you have received. What is he saying? He's saying, Go and preach the kingdom. Go announce the kingdom to God. And he gives them how they're going to prove it. Preach and prove. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure the leper, cast out demons. And he says, give as freely as you have received. In other words, has Jesus changed your life any? Do you have anything to be grateful for? Do you have any blessings in your life? Any riches from God? Any kingdom that has showed up in your life? Well, if you've received something for him, then you pass it on. 
why you keep wanting to be a disciple when I'm calling you to be an apostle. I'm calling you not just to receive, but to give. In fact, that's where the real blessing is. It's in giving, not just receiving. Go announce that the kingdom, and you go, next blank on your page, you go in my authority. We go in his authority. When we are sent, we go in his authority. We've been studying a lot about the authority of Jesus, this authority that he delegates to his now newly minted apostles. What is the Greek word for the authority that we see in Jesus? Exousia. It's this supernatural authority that he has, and it's an amazing thing. He gives the same authority, the same exousia, he says, to these apostles. And he says, I'm sending you in my authority. That authority is crazy powerful. What happens when Jesus shows up and begins to teach? Everyone responds the same way. They are Amazed, They're astounded. They're blown away by him. They can't believe what they're hearing. It's amazing. It's astounding over and over and over again. But not when he speaks to the demons. When he speaks to the demons, they begin to scream in pain. When he speaks to the demons, he says, get out. And you know what they have to do? Go. They have to go. He has authority over the demons. Not when he speaks to lepers. When he speaks to lepers, he says, be healed, and they are what? Healed instantly. He has such authority that he speaks to the, to the disease, and it goes away. He spoke to one dead girl who was lying, getting cold on her own bed. He says, Talitha, get up, and what happens? She got up, she rose from the dead, and everyone was amazed and astounded still. Jesus has enough authority to speak, and the dead Raise. They were on the water and the storm came and they were getting knocked around and the disciples were terrified and they wake Jesus up. Don't you care that we're all about to die? And he looks at the storm and he says, shut up. And what happens? The storm just gone. And they're astounded. They say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Does Jesus have authority? Jesus has this amazing authority, and it's this authority that he delegates to his apostles. It's this level of authority. No wonder he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, because it's the authority of Jesus that he sends them in. When you, when you look at your life and you feel like your life is weak, you feel like you don't have any power. You feel like everything's beating you down. Here's my question. Why would he empower you to do nothing? He empowers you to witness, to tell other people. So when you're looking at your life and you feel like it's weak, when you feel like things are falling apart, when you, think, you feel like everything's crumbling around you, what should you do? You should praise him and you should tell somebody about how good he is. You should witness on his behalf. And that's how the authority comes into your life. Amen? He gives us power to accomplish his mission. I love the song that we started out singing this morning, you know, uh, talking about the storm is blowing and it's getting louder and it's getting louder and louder. But the song says, louder and louder, you're going to hear my praises roar. 
Man, when things get bad and things get tough in our lives, that's when we should be proclaiming his goodness to other people. Amen? Amen. So we speak with his authority. Why should we be scared? Why should we be intimidated? I know some of you guys have told me in this year of evangelism, well, I, I don't really know if I can share Jesus because the people I'm praying for, they got a lot of authority. You know, they speak to me with authority from science or with authority from culture or with authority from education or authority from experience. And I don't know if I can stand up against their, you know, authoritative arguments but you speak with the authority of Jesus Christ, the one who calmed the storm, the one who raised the dead, the one who healed the sick and cast out demons. That's your authority. Why in the world would you be scared? Colossians 2, 9 says that in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. All the fullness of God's authority in you to witness to others. Hebrews 1.3 says that the Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything, the mighty power of his command. Oh, he has authority. Another translation of this passage says that he holds all things together. The universe doesn't come flying apart like it should. Instead, he holds it all Together by the power of his command. That's the authority that you have access to. That's the authority that he gives you. He gives you that authority and he takes responsibility for the outcome. So why should you be scared? So Jesus now appoints his disciples as apostles and then he does something a little weird. He's sending them on their mission trips to go to these towns, these towns in the Galilee area and he does this weird thing. He tells them what to take. He gives them a packing list. And it's kind of weird. Let's look at it, Mark 6, 8. He charged them to take nothing for their journey, except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money, but wear sandals and just one tunic, not two. So he kind of gives them this weird little packing list. He tells them not to go with really much of anything. I want you to trust me. I don't want you to trust your money. I want you to trust me. I don't want you to trust in your circumstances. I want you just to trust me and go with these few little things. So it's weird. It's kind of weird, but it gets even weirder because um, this is one of those places, one of those very few places where we actually have conflict between the gospels because this packing list that Jesus gives them shows up in all the synoptics Matthew Mark and Luke but the packing list is a little different in each one yeah some people get really hung up on this and so I wanted to make a little chart for you so you could have a look at how it works so you can see that Mark tells them uh, to take a staff but Matthew and Luke say that Jesus said, don't bring a staff. Mark says to bring sandals, wear your sandals. But Matthew says, Jesus said, said don't wear sandals. And Luke doesn't even mention sandals at all. So we got this weirdness about this packing list. We got weirdness here in the details. So I just thought this was strange, and I thought I better look into this. And... I started doing my reading with the commentators and the theologians and 
you know, no one's really got a great answer. No, one, no one's got a solution. Well, here's why it's this way here and it's that way there. No one really, ha- I mean, just they, they're like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Then I listened to a couple of pastors preach on this passage. And, you know, the inclination of pastor's heart is to have all the answers and to be sure to tell you all the answers. And so I've heard some pastors kind of try to point to (coughs) why this may be the case. Why is there this discrepancy here? Like maybe, maybe, you know, uh, Jesus most likely did send them out on multiple mission trips. And on one trip, he kind of gave one set of instructions. On another trip, another set. Maybe, maybe that's the case. You know, I had some pastors really try to spiritualize it and tell you why. But the bottom line is, we got conflict in between the Gospels. And we're not really sure exactly why there is a difference here. And really, some people get very hung up on this. But I don't. I mean, to me, it's, it's a packing list. And so probably one of them got it right and one of the other ones got it wrong. Probably in heaven, Jesus is looking at Matthew going, dude, you didn't write that down right. You know, you, you know I, maybe, maybe, I mean, I, I'm just not gonna get hung up on this. I believe that God's word is inerrant. I believe that there are no errors, yet here we see this discrepancy, and I'm just not going to get that hung up about it because it's a detail. I'm much more worried about why in the heck Jesus allowed the demons to go into those pigs and run them off the cliff, ruining those people's business. That I think about. Why did he do this? But the details of a packing list, I'm just going to be okay that I don't know why it says this, and I'll be okay to just ask the question later. But only after I ask the question about the pigs. I really want to know about the pigs. Are we okay to move on and not talk anymore about the packing list? Okay, good. I get, I guess. Really want to get, I've got a book. I've got a book. And there's a big section. You're welcome to borrow the book. Uh, seriously, that's not my, my biggest worry. So let's move on to the next thing Jesus says in verse 10. He says to them, whenever you enter a house on your trip, whenever you enter a house, Stay there until you depart from there. Okay, stay in the house. Stay, just stay. Does that mean stay in the house? Don't leave the house? Don't see the light of day? No, he's, he's saying stay in the house. I mean, if somebody, so, okay, here's the deal. You go into a town, and in that culture, it was very important for the Jewish community to offer hospitality. They saw it as their responsibility. A stranger comes into town. It's our community's responsibility to offer hospitality so that they feel welcomed and at home. That's the deal. So you get to the town. You're there with or without your sandals. <laughs> Somebody's going to say to you, hey, you come stay. While you're here, you come stay in my house. I'll, take, I'll feed you, and you can sleep on one of our beds. And so you go there, and you, that's where you establish your ministry headquarters while you're there a few days, a week, however long it is. So imagine that you are a disciple, you forgot your sandals, and you're in this home, and it turns out it's kind of a rat-infested, trashy place. And uh, it's a poor guy. poor guy has offered you his home. But you're there for a couple days, you're doing ministry, you're obeying Jesus, you're healing the sick, you're raising the dead, you're preaching the gospel, and the word spreads, and then on the third day that you're there, you're there for two more days, third day that you're there, the richest guy in town says, hey, 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 you come stay with me. 
I want to take care of you. My, you come to the good side of town, and I'll put you up in a suite with a view, man. It's going to be awesome. Jesus is saying, no, when you go into a town, wherever you establish yourself, you don't humiliate the person you're with by leaving them and, and going somewhere else because you got a better offer. He's saying you be a person of integrity, right? You be a person of integrity. Your walk matches your talk. You are out to honor the people around you, not humiliate the people around you. So we disciples, we apostles, we live with integrity in everything that we do. But then he says something, I think he goes back, he swings back to weird again uh, for me in verse 11. He says this, if any place will not receive you and they won't listen to you, then when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. Shake off the dust to tell them something. That sounds rude. He's just giving us an integrity move. You be a person of integrity, but as you're leaving, if they won't listen to you, you go ahead and you show them what's up. You shake the dust. You kick the dust off your feet. Seems like it's kind of an insult, doesn't it? Well, it can be. Understand, in that culture, this shaking the dust off, it, it, it means a couple of different things. First of all, it means a similar thing to us when we say, I'm washing my hands of this situation. If I say I'm washing my hands of this, what, what do I mean? I'm done. There's, there's nothing more I can do here. You know, I, I've tried, but I'm, I'm washing. I, I'm not going to take responsibility for what happens here next. And so that's kind of what that meant. It was kind of the same idea. I'm washing my hands of this. Uh, but it also meant something else. And he tells them uh, to do this um, as a testimony. Another translation says, as a warning to them, shake the dust off your feet. You got to think about this. This was a common practice for pious Jews. You know what a pious Jew is? Like pious Christians. We have pious Christians also. What's a pious Christian? Somebody who's really holy in practice, okay? So they're kind of up there. You know, they would never wear, they would never wear converse on the, in church on a Sunday morning. <laughs> All right, they're pious. Uh, maybe they wear a tie. Uh, you know, they practice their beliefs in a very meticulous way. They're holier than maybe thou or me, right? That's a pious person. And so a pious Jewish person took the idea of cleanliness very literally. We talked about cleanliness a couple of weeks ago. And so let's just pretend you're a pious Jew and you're, let's just say that you're the, 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 you're the guy in charge of the synagogue in Capernaum. But you've just spent the week down in Jerusalem in the holy city at the temple at a festival. And now that's over, so you gotta travel back home. Well, the way to get from Judea, down there where Jerusalem is, back up into Galilee is you had to kind of skirt through around the outside edge of the Samarian area, which is unclean. Judea clean, holy land. Galilee clean, holy land. Samaria not so holy. I mean, those people aren't Gentiles, but they're half-breeds, right? They're unclean. 
And so you would go around the outside so you didn't have to talk to anybody. You'd skip all the towns. You'd go on that trail that all the Jewish people go on, you know, around the wide circle around. And then when you would cross back out of Samaritan territory back into Israel territory, first thing you would do is you would kick the dust off your feet, you know, because you didn't want anything unclean contaminating the clean. Remember, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. In Jewish culture, unclean is contagious. Remember that? And so the idea here is I might have I picked up something. I was in unholy territory. I might have picked up something. I don't want to be unclean, and I don't want to contaminate myself or my people with even the dust of an unclean land. This is really important. This is really important. It, it, there's a lot of correlation here. Jesus gives them this packing list, and then he tells them to shake the dust off their feet, right? And some have suggested that this packing list sounds familiar, that maybe this packing list isn't exactly original to this, to Jesus in this passage, and so they draw some parallels, and I want to see if we can draw those here. Not sure that there's correlation here, but there might be. They say that Jesus' packing list sounds a lot like Moses' instructions to the Hebrew people. The Hebrew people at this time, they are still enslaved in Egypt, right? They're slaves being abused there in Egypt. So they're under what covenant? That's right, no covenant. This is pre-covenant, pre-Jewish Hebrew people. Does that make sense so far? So they have no covenant with God at all at this point. And at this stage of the game, uh, God is in the process of sending the plagues onto Egypt to harden Pharaoh's heart. And it's plague after plague after plague but there's one more plague to go. Do you remember what the last plague is? It's what? It's the plague of the death of the firstborn. He's pronouncing death for the children of Egypt. But there's a way out of it for you people, you Hebrews. There's a way out of this. So Moses gives them instructions. You're going to prepare a Passover meal. That's what we're going to call it. We're going to call it the Passover meal. And we want the angel of death, when the angel of death comes to kill all the children in Egypt, we want the angel of death to pass over your house. And so he gives these meticulous instructions on how to prepare the meal. Prepare the lamb. You're going to have the lamb. Eat the lamb together as a family. Uh, but before you eat the lamb, you're going to take some of the blood of the lamb and do what with it? Come on, mumble, mumble, mumble. You're going to what? You're going to paint it on the door. You're going to paint the blood. You're going to make sure your family is covered with the blood. Right? And then you're going to eat the meal together. And then these are Moses' instructions for eating the meal. And they sound weird in this context. He says this, Be fully dressed Wear your sandals and carry your walking stick in your hand. Why would you have a walking stick if you're sitting down to eat a meal together? And he says, eat the meal with urgency for this is the Lord's Passover. Sound familiar? 
This sounds really familiar to what Jesus is saying as far as the packing list goes. Moses goes on and he's explained the Passover and he says, a little bit later, he says, God speaking through Moses says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. When, when I look at the, when I see the house of the Egyptian, no blood, death comes to the house not covered in the blood. But when I see a family covered in the blood, I will pass over. Death does not come to that family. And so, sure enough, the people, the people establish a relationship with God with the blood before they even leave Egypt. Then they walk out of Egypt and across the sea to establish a covenant with him based on blood. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that's the nature of that covenant for the duration of that first covenant, that they would continue to offer blood sacrifices to God on a regular recurring basis, and that blood would be sufficient to cover their sins for a while. Because death comes to anyone who is guilty. Death comes to the oppressor. Death comes to the rebel traitor. Death comes to the guilty. But if the blood covers you, then you are passed over. That's the nature of that first covenant. But what Jesus is doing here is he's sending these apostles out on the first mission trip to de begin to describe the new covenant. And so they've got a packing list, which sounds a lot like the establishment of the first relationship with God and then he sends them out walking into these towns to declare this new covenant, which is based in the shedding of one person's blood once and for all. And Jesus' blood covers our sins because he died to pay for our sins on the cross and rose three days later. Hey, you see the parallels there? So... Um, after receiving um, their instructions back in Egypt, they walked out of their bondage into that covenant. And after receiving their instructions here, they walk out into, new, into these towns to proclaim uh, the new covenant. That's what they did. Verse 12, they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and they healed them. So what this means is, next blank on your page, we go in the new covenant. When we go, we go out in the new covenant. We aren't going out. We don't tell other people about Jesus because we think we're gonna earn favor with God. We go in a new covenant where all the work for that covenant, all the work for forgiveness, all the work for acceptance has been completed in the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. Amen? And so we preach the gospel. We preach the gospel. We tell others about Jesus. That's what we are called to do. That's your job, and that's my job. All right, Sergio, that's your job, and it's my job. That's what we do as Christians. And I know, I know, I know sometimes people are like, well, I, I still don't know if I have the words to say. Well, first of all, listen to me. I, I explain the gospel every Sunday. You should have it figured out by now. I even stand over here on this corner in the dark and I pray the sinner's prayer. I do it every Sunday. You should have it figured out by now. 
But I know you're worried. I know you're apprehensive because you don't think you have authority. You've been given authority by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you haven't got it figured out and you don't know what words to say, let me make it simple and easy for you. Here's the gospel in four words. Jesus took my place. Amen? The gospel in three words. Him for me. The gospel in two words. Substitutionary atonement. And the gospel in one word is simply grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. He gives us grace and he accepts us, accepts us as treasonous criminals as his own children. And he's called us to tell this good news to others. He gave us the great commission. In Matthew 28, he says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And therefore, with that authority, he's saying, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's our job. We aren't just learners. We aren't just students. We're preachers. We're a nation of preachers conducting war on our knees and with our words, telling people about the goodness of God because, last blank on the page, we are sent to preach the word. We are sent to preach the word. You and I, that's our call to be fishers of men. Music